Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brenning and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. everyone and welcome to Paws I Am Radio. I am your host Robert Brining, tonight's co-host Jack McEnroe. Jack, happy Sunday. How are you making it? It's been so long it feels like since I've had you by my side doing this. Well, you know, in the winter I hibernate, so yes. I'm just coming out because it's been sunny for a couple of days. Well, it's now raining, but no. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, I was with Jeremy last time, and then, uh, you know, I've just been kind of busy, kind of crazy, but it's all good. <laughs> well, that's cool. Anything uh, new in your world? Any news? Um, nothing really business-related or work-related, although I am, uh, I'm, you know, I'm buying a little, it's a tiny one-bedroom in South Beach with a, a friend of mine. So yes, the last, that. we were supposed to close on uh, Friday, and it's just, Miami is a hot mess. <laughs> so, like, well, the title company and then the loan company, nobody could coordinate with who they're supposed to. And so I've just been dealing with all that logistical crap. And um, they had to move the closing up to next week. So it's just been kind of a mess. So I've been kind of stressed. But other than that, I'm all good. Well, that's good. I saw um, the one thing that you posted about, and I actually just went and viewed it today, the video of that artist who was getting um, – Somebody was copying his artwork, and it was a view. <laughs> I know, which is so random. I don't like. I my sister sent that to me. Um, it's um. Oh God, I can't think of his name now. It's just so awful. But the um, the off the painter is this, um. Uh, he's U.S. based. I'll look while I'm speaking. I'll look for his book, and so I can. Give him a shout out, but um, yeah, no, some it, and it's not like he's like a Picasso or some famous artist. He's just kind of local. Um, I think he's Chicago based. Um, anyways, I'll have to, I can't I can't find it, but um, it was called he did this whole series called Cheesecake Boys, which is kind right. of like this this um, it's kind of a mock of um like the pinup girls from the fifties. So it's all these you know semi like D list gay celebrities <laughs> um <laughs> like Mike Ruiz is in it and um Jesse Archer and we're all doing kind of what we do I'm designing clothes I'm actually measure- measuring someone's inseam and like my um, the back of my pants like happened to fall down a little bit you know so but anyway so it's a cute it's a cute little painting but there's some guy, Chinese guy and um that's copying them and selling them on eBay so it's yeah. so bizarre <laughs> Yeah, it is. Or I saw it. I saw it. I was like, "Why? Let me check this out." And I went and I go, "Wait a minute, that's Jack in that painting." Yeah, I know, <laughs> but since I, what I, I mean, I understand making a copy of 
I don't know how much his originals sell for because he's not right. New York based, so I didn't go to the opening. But I mean, you know, I'm assuming there are a couple thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars, and it's one thing then to copy like a masterpiece where you're, you know, selling them for hundreds of thousands of dollars, but to spend that much time painting a painting, like paint your own painting and sell it for two thousand dollars, you know what I mean? I don't know, it's bizarre, bizarre, very bizarre. So, what's new with you? I call that today. Um, I'm getting ready for uh, the Positive Living Conference in uh, Fort Walton Beach that takes place next uh, weekend. Oh, cool. Um, I have um doing a 90-minute presentation down there. Uh, oh, my God. About, that was a long time. <laughs> tell me about it. I am a nervous wreck thinking, how am I going to fill 90 minutes? But uh, I'm, I'm basically trying to – I'm going to do the presentation on using social networking sites to reach people living with HIV and kind of talk about why – you know, uh, the radio show and the network was created and kind of what it what it does for, you know, the people living with the disease who aren't able to make the connection. So I think it'll be kind of easy to just go about and, and talk about. I, I kind of made bullet points. I was going to do a slideshow, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> and I want right. to, you know, I'm nervous as it is because this is like my really first big speaking gig where there's like 400 people in the audience. Right. So it's a little Ooh, bit different but, than, you know. But you're speaking to people that are fairly well educated on um, the side. Like, your crowd is, you're, you're preaching to the choir, right? You're not like, speaking to people right. that are going to be like, whoa, what the hell are you talking about? So, Right. Um, well, the good thing is, is good. most of the people that are there are going to be positive. We're usually at the ADAP Summit that we went to. Um, it's usually the opposite, where only, like, maybe a quarter of them are positive and the rest are, you know, ASO workers or whatever. Right, right. But I'm excited to go down there and, and get to hear different people speak. And it's really the first conference I'll go to, like I said, that has other, you know, a bunch of positive people. And I think it'll be really impactful. There's supposedly it's a really good conference that really leaves you with like a lot of inspiration. So I'm excited. Well, I think that's great. I mean, social networking via the internet has been so amazing in that respect, just because, you know, I think people will your your age and younger don't realize what life was like before the internet. I mean, I didn't have my first PC until, I think, 1994, 95. And so, like, you know, the Pause I Am website and even Facebook and all that, like, I get probably, now it's it's increasing, I think. Like, I get, you know, probably on average one message a day from someone on Facebook, you know, that has a question. And, you know, I think it's, I, like, I had the luxury of living in New York City when I found out that I was positive, but I think if you're living in what we consider to be the middle of nowhere, and, you know, HIV, it's, it's, it's everywhere. So um, at least you can reach out to people on the Internet and go on, like, thebody.com or whatever, and or PauseMeds and PauseIM and, and get in the chat groups and ask questions and reach out to people and find people in your area, which you wouldn't, you know, all that stuff. It's really great. Yeah, it's been a real, you know, helpful to me, um, you know, trying to break through in this activism field or whatever. It, it just, it's really a good outlet for people to find support and also offer support. Um, the other thing that we uh, just did is we just actually revamped and redesigned the POSIM network, uh, which launched on Monday. And I wanted to kind of get that set up for the conference. So if you haven't logged into the network, um, you know, anyone listening, you may want to check that out because um, it's all new and we try to make it a little bit more user-friendly and not so, um, you know, complicated and hard to use. So um, that's something that people can check out. It's, it's exciting. I, I, I like to be able to change it and make it look nice, so I think it looks better than what it did. I didn't like having oh, cool. my photo at the top. 
of the the site, I, I felt like it was showing like it was about me. And the network really right. isn't about me. It's about the people in it. So I want right. to that. Well, I think that's cool. Everything's all about you, Robert. It's all about you. <laughs> well, you know, some people some people have a hard time dealing with that, but um. So um, you, I know you weren't here with us last week, but if anyone who is listening um, wasn't with us last week, we actually had the founder of Pause Magazine on, Sean Strube, and he spoke about all the wonderful work uh, that he has done in the past and what he continues to do now. And one of the great topics that we touched on was HIV uh, criminalization, because uh, he does a lot of work, um, you know, trying to get laws passed to protect people living with HIV. So if you haven't already, you may want to uh, check that out in the archives uh, for those listening. Tonight we have a, a, a great gentleman on. George Montgomery um, is uh, a member of Paz I M, and he actually, uh, I think I found him on Facebook, and um, he is willing, he is ready. Um, from what I've read in the video that I've watched, like he's ready to get himself out there. He has this event that he wants to plan, um, this Million Man March that he's going to come on and talk about, which is a great thing, and you know, I'd love to be able to help any way that I can. Um, I believe he is on the line, so let me just go ahead. I see him there. Let me bring George onto the show. Please welcome George Montgomery. George, are you there? Hey, I'm here. Hey, George. Hi, George. Hey, I'm good. How are y'all this evening? Go ahead. We're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) So, George, tell us um, a little bit. Give us a little bit of a background. Tell us, like, how old you were when you were diagnosed. And things of that nature, and then we'll kind of move forward from that, just to kind of give a you know a little background of where you came from. All right, sounds good. So, I guess what I'd like to tell people is that my story kind of really begins um, with the decision I made in high school to um, enlist my junior year as a United States Marine Corps reservist. Um, I was off two days after I graduated from high school to basic training. Um, and I graduated um, from basic um, right before, two days before I started university in Charlotte. Um, you know, everything was good. I had a good military career going on. I was doing outstanding in college um, until about eight months after I started at university. I got a call from my direct commander on base informing me that I needed to be ready that uh, the next day by 0700. Um, in full dress uniform, but he kind of didn't, or not kind of, he just didn't explain to me at all, um, you know, what I was getting ready for. So, of course, the first thing that crossed my mind was that they were going to activate my reserve unit, um, which meant I would have had to stop school and ultimately get sent overseas. So, obviously, I I obeyed my commanding officer and got ready, um, and I was taken to the base uh, reserve unit base located here in Charlotte. Um, and I was sat in this hallway for a good two hours before I was finally taken into this room where all the, you know, high-ranking officials from my base were already seated. Um, and the first person to speak to me was my overall base command or my direct commander who asked me if I was aware why I was on base. Of course, I told him no. Um, so he responded by explaining to me that the last time I was on base, as I know, I had blood work drawn, but that blood work had also been randomized into receiving an HIV test, and that unfortunately that test result had came back as being positive. So on May 14th, George, is, is, it, is, is it routine for 
people in the military to get random blood work done? Like, is it something that they do on a regular basis? They do. They do randomized blood draws um, for a number of things for drugs, um, mainly for drugs. Um, but they also, out of that randomized uh, population, they randomize further into um, HIV testing. And this is, as far as I know, um, I don't know the the protocols for the other branches of the uh, armed forces, but for the Marine Reserves, that's what their their policy was. So every six months they randomized people for the first, for the initial blood test, and then when they got those individuals randomized, there was another randomization um, for HIV and other STDs. Um, well, I, we've we've read your bio, and I'll let you finish your story really quickly in a second. But I just found that part really shocking that they can do that. That um, I mean, I think there's obviously an argument to be made for mandatory testing, like nationally, that everyone should really kind of know their status. But it seems like almost a civil rights infringement to to be able to do that. What, what's your stance on like how do you feel about that whole? procedure going down like you had you didn't ask to be hiv tested i mean i think it's a great idea and it's it's good to know your status but you didn't ask you didn't make that decision for yourself you know what i mean right i mean at first you know like you said i i kind of felt like my rights as an individual were taken away from me um in regards to knowing my status um but then again when you enlist in them in any branch of the military pretty much all of your rights anyway are taken away from you as an individual. Okay. So it's something that you kind of know going into enlisting in any branch that there are certain things that, you know, within your life that you will have no control over, and this just so happened to be one of them. Okay. I think what was more disturbing to me was the way that they went about counseling me afterwards. Um, because what I got from my um, top-ranking officials on my base was about a 200-page document um, that was meant for their their personal use as far as counseling um, a service member who um, did test HIV positive. Um, but and how, from, how long how long ago was are we talking? How old are you now? Um, I'm 24 now. Um, my test. Uh, this meeting place May 14th of 2006. Okay, so it's not like we're talking about, you know, 20 years ago. So this is fairly recent. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so like I, like I was saying, I pretty much got that entire, you know, packet that they were supposed to have read over and, and been able to provide services to me. Um, and I pretty much had to read through that to kind of get an understanding of, you know, what my diagnosis meant to me as an individual, what it meant to me health-wise, um, and it, it was really, I mean, just hard for me um, because after I found out, I kind of slipped into this state of, uh, of, I mean, just utter depression where I stopped going to class, I started abusing drugs and alcohol, um, and, I mean, it was the hardest thing that happened to me until one day I just kind of had this self-realization that, you know, my life wasn't over, and I felt like as a young person living with HIV that there was so much more that I could offer um, to the to, to other young people if I just accepted my status and moved forward. And that's kind of where I joined a local organization here to receive case management and supportive services 
and got involved with, you know, the campaign to end AIDS. I helped found a youth empowerment program here in Charlotte. Um, and that's kind of where all of my, you know, activism that people who, who are familiar with me kind of stemmed from was from my involvement with, you know, with actually just accepting my diagnosis. Then, well, George, when you were – go ahead, Jack. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, when, George, when you were diagnosed, um, the question from the chat room is, was were you diagnosed – like when they told you, were you just you and your commanding officer or were there other people in the room? No, there was a total of about six or seven uh, different people in the room. Um, one was my direct uh, commanding officer. Um, we had the sergeant major of the Marine Corps for our base there. We had two or three medical top medical personnel from the naval side um, because the Navy um, does all the medical um, stuff for the Marine Corps. Um, so, yeah, those were are the people that I can remember um, that were actually in the room when, when I got my diagnosis. Now, do you remember how you felt when, when he told you? Because, like you said, you were going there expecting something else. And when he tells you that, what were, like, the emotions and, and your feelings when he told you? Because a lot of people, when they're diagnosed, they break down and sometimes they, you know, they fall apart. Were you able to hold it together, you know, for a certain amount of time? Um, I think overall, I, I really had, I didn't have any emotions at the time. I kind of just zoned out and tried to, like, comprehend what was happening for the most part. Um, emotions really didn't set in until maybe a week afterwards. Um, you know, like I said, I kind of was depressed, but I didn't have any, you know, I didn't know why I was depressed. All I knew was that I was HIV positive. I had no health insurance. The Marine Corps wasn't going to provide any type of medical services to me as an HIV positive person, and it was more of a kind of what the hell am I going to do type thing to, to make sure that I'm keeping myself help, you know, healthy. Um, right. But, yeah, emotion-wise, I think once I kind of took everything in, um, it was more of a, of a feeling of disappointing my mother um, because the last thing that she said to me prior to leaving me at university um, was that she had found, you know, that she had read through the letters from my boyfriend at the time. Um, so she knew that I was gay. Um, and the last thing she told me before she left was to be safe. And I kind of felt like receiving this diagnosis was just like a smack in her face. Mm. Yeah, I remember that feeling. Um, well, I have a couple uh, two part. They're not related, but answer them. You can answer them in any order you want. I just wanted to kind of after the, you found out you're positive from the whole. All those military people are sitting there. What were your options? Like, do they kick you out, or um, you know what happens? Or and then my other question, I will remember when you're answering that first one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so immediately upon receiving my diagnosis, they had two sets of paperwork. Uh, for me. Um, one stack was um, a, pretty much a list of all their medical requirements as far as paperwork and documentations that I would have to get filled out in order to stay in active duty reservist in the Marine Corps. Um, but like I said, they explained to me that, you know, this would be on my own dollar because my status wasn't something that was directly related to, you know, me serving in the military. It was an outside problem. 
Um, and the other stack was what they call for the good of the core discharge, um, which pretty much meant that I was going to terminate um, my active duties um, contract and be permanently switched over to what they call the individual ready reserves or inactive reserve status for the remainder of my contract, unless at some point during that time I um, you know, went out and had all that medical paperwork filled out. Interesting. So, I mean, technically, let's say if it was feasible for you to do at the time, they do have a policy where you can be in the reserve and be HIV positive. Absolutely. It's just, you know, like with anything, they just want to make sure that you're healthy enough and that you're not going to endanger yourself or put yourself at any, you know, health risk with continuing right. your your um, service. Because, you know, we're if we were to get, um, you know, deported to overseas, we have, you know, just the health issues with, with doing that. I mean, and just going out for my regular training exercises um, puts my body through through great, great deals of stress. Right. Um, and then I think my other part, of, my other question was, so did you, you enlisted in those when you were 16, you graduated from high school early, or I'm just kind of trying to figure out the exact timeline. Like when did, um, you know, like, so, just just because to put it into kind of a context of so you already had a boyfriend I'm like wow that's pretty impressive and um, you know, just talk a little bit about that like how did you think you were possibly HIV positive do you know how that occurred like give me a little bit of that so what happened is um, my senior year of high school uh, well back up a little bit prior to me getting into my first um, openly gay relation well in the openly gay relationship, I was with the same female for five years, and we were actually engaged. Um, and then I kind of went through the self-realization that that you know that wasn't me. That you know I was just kind of using that to hide who I was. Um, so my senior year, I met this guy. We were dating. Um, he actually moved to North Carolina um, to be with me. He started school at um, another local university. Um, and I found out that two days prior to me graduating from basic training that he had cheated on me. So, of course, you know, being barely 18, I was pissed off and, and just upset at the world. And I kind of started acting out, um, you know, because I had never had that education in school. And, you know, HIV was, was the last thing on my mind. Like most young people today, HIV is, you know, the last thing that they that they think can happen to them. Um, so I went out, I went partying, I went drinking, and, um, you know, because of the, the drugs and alcohol, um, I wasn't, I was never in the right frame of mind to, to go through the condom negotiation process. So I was, um, I was having a lot of unprotected sex with, whoever the hell would pay me attention because I was just in that state where I just needed to be, feel like I was being wanted by somebody. Right. Um, so at some point during the three or four month fiasco of me, you know, putting myself out there like that and, and having all of these random hookups is when I was, you know, when I felt feel that I, I was exposed to HIV. Got it. Gotcha. So, so after your your diagnosis, you leave the military. You said you fall you fell into this depression state. Um, what did you do to get yourself out of that that 
state of mind of being depressed all the time about the diagnosis? I think what helped me out the most is um, there was a, a group of females across the hall from me um, in my dorms that, um, you know, prior to all of that I had, you know, really grown a very close bond with. Um, and they, you know, they sense that something was wrong. They see me not going to class. They see me not eating. Um, so it was kind of them approaching me and, you know, trying to figure out if everything was okay. Um, and then finally, this was maybe two weeks after I got my diagnosis, um, I went over to their room and had the, the large stack of paperwork that the Marine Corps gave to me, and I kind of threw it on the bed and just started bawling my eyes out. Um, and that was really, I guess, that support that I needed to kind of reassure me that everything was going to be okay. Um, and that's kind of when I, you know, made my went through that self-realization process of realizing that, you know, they're right. You know, this isn't a death sentence. I can take care of myself. I can get the proper medical treatment. And, you know, I can be healthy just like anybody else can be healthy. Um, and that's kind of when my whole perspective and, and attitude towards my diagnosis changed. Hmm. Wow. Now, have you have you told your parents? And if you have, how have they reacted? I have. Um, that was the most difficult part for me um, as far as telling my mom um, because of how close we are. Um, my mom pretty much raised me by herself with, with the assistance of my grandparents my entire life um, because my father was, was always locked up. Um, so in November of 2006, um, when I traveled home um, for one of my term breaks, um, the first person that I talked to when I got home was my aunt, and I kind of, you know, I alluded and kind of told her that I was sick. Um, she worked at Walmart, so she's like, you know, what kind of, you know, what do you need? Can I bring you some Dayquil or some Nightquil or, or something? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, not so much, Auntie. That that's not gonna work for for me. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? So I, I finally opened up to her and I told her that I was HIV positive and told her that I hadn't told my mom yet and kind of gave her a very rough timetable of, of what had happened. Um, and it kind of brought me back to the whole, you know, the thing that my mom told me when she left was to be safe. Um, so I knew if I, if I tried to tell her myself that I would wind up changing the subject and, and it would be another, you know, six months to a year before she found out. Um, so my aunt actually took my mom out to lunch um, maybe three or four days later and told her. Um, and when she came back, you know, of course she was crying. But, you know, she just, re you know, once again reassured me that everything was going to be all right. Um, that's when I finally got, um, went to an ID doctor and got my test, you know, my first set of, of lab results um, outside of the military. Um, and was actually really, really shocking um, because from May of 2000, from May until November, my numbers pretty much stayed the same. When I was diagnosed, my CD4 was almost 700 and my viral load was about 13,000. Um, and when I got my first set of lab results back, my CD4 was a little over 700 and my viral load had dropped to about 10,000. Right. Well, I think that's um, good. I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think a, a 
the treatments are, are so effective now. And, um, and actually, in the olden days, like, I've been positive for 21 years, so there was a lot of debates. Well, first of all, there was really no meds, or it was just ACT, which was controversial at best, and a lot of people reacted very poorly to it. So people showed, and even Robert, you just went on medication a, year, a little over a year ago. So people used to just wait for a really long time and hope that their immune system would kind of, you know, it can fight HIV to a certain degree. Eventually it loses. But, you know, so there are people that, um, you know, do really well for a long period of time um, without taking any medication at all. And your immune system does battle with the HIV, although I think the protocol now is generally to put you on meds earlier rather than wait. But, um, no, it's true that you can go. But that's also sort of can be an issue is that people can go a really long time with no symptoms and your immune system can can be completely attacked so you don't know that anything is going on with your body. So that's, you know, it's, it's a good thing, but it's also can be kind of dangerous. Right. And I guess that's the one area where I, I have, you know, felt very blessed is, you know, May 14th of this year will be my five-year anniversary, um, and I have not um, yet started any um, treatment Um because of how, you know, how well my numbers are. I'm in a study now at um, NIH, um, and last time I went there, you know, once again, my CD4 was almost 700, and my viral load was hovering around 11,000. Right. Well, good. I think the one thing is that I noticed is that it's kind of different for everybody, the amount of time from their diagnosis to, to starting meds, kind of like what Jack was saying. I know from my personal experience with it is I actually – didn't even start meds for nine years um, until, wow. you know, recently. So I, I went nine years where my viral, you know, was low enough and my CD4 was high enough. But once my CD4 started to drop and the viral load was starting to go up, that's when the doctor was, I think it's now. So, it, you know, it just depends on the body, you know, the individual themselves and, and what they can do to fight kind of um, what they were saying earlier. So you, you told your friends first. You told your parents, right, they, they've been somewhat supportive. Um, my mom has what? been absolutely one of the the best support uh, people that I've had on my side. Um, you know, she doesn't know a lot about it, um, and it almost intimidates her sometimes when I'm talking about it um, because she doesn't quite understand all the you know all the aspects of HIV and and what it does to your body. And um, I think the one thing that kind of frustrates her is that. You know, she knows there's medication out there, and she, I can't explain to her, no matter how many times I've tried, why I'm not on medication. Um, and that's the one conversation that is always sticky to have with my mom. <laughs> I think it's important, and, and it's good that you, you talk about, you know, how your mom is scared about it, because I know my mom was kind of scared too. And when we kind of – open up and tell our parents it's kind of our responsibility as the person living with the disease who is a little bit more educated to take that moment and also educate our family and our friends about it. So it's good to hear that that's what you're doing because that's kind of what I try to tell people who are coming out and their family reacts negative about them being positive is that they have to use that experience to teach. Absolutely. I think that's great. Um, how has – now you, you're working where? First, tell me, first, tell me about the work that you're doing now, because I think that's um, really interesting. So right now, I just moved back to Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and I am working 
um, with a program called Empowering Positive Youth. Our fiscal agent is the Regional AIDS Interface Network. Um, and right now, I am what they're calling a peer navigator. Um, so we provide non-medical case management to a certain extent. Um, a our, our program is broken down into five different pieces. Um, we have a Youth Speakers Bureau, which allows young people who are wanting to, to go out into the public and help other young people understand, you know, how living with HIV has impacted their life. Um, we do trainings with our clients on, you know, how to tell their stories and kind of frame it in a way to, to get a message across to young people. Um, we also provide um, support groups for male and females. Um, we um, attend national training such as the Youth Action Institute, Voices, and um, the Positive Youth Institute. Um, and then we have our referral services where, you know, we can write them referrals to food banks or to help them with their, um, you know, with housing or, or whatever the need is for the individual. Um, so it's it's really a, a very broad program um, for, for young people in our nine-county TGA um, that we serve. Um, but then on a national level, I also... Um, work very closely with the campaign to end AIDS, um, and I actually am the founder of the LGBTQQI work group, um, which is still kind of up and running, trying to 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 reformulate and and get um, parties interested um, in, in you know issues surrounding HIV, AIDS, stigma, discrimination as it relates to to the LGBT community. Um, I've served as their Youth Caucus co-chair. Um, we put on a, a Youth Action Institute every year, um, which is an activism training for young people interested in, in HIV and AIDS-related issues. Um, I've just, I just kind of put myself out there um, in hopes that I can help other young people. No, that's that's right. That, yeah, that's, you know. Um, well, I know where can Go ahead, Robert. No, go ahead, Jack. It's cool. I basically just wanted to know, like, specifically if, there, you know, if someone in your area in, in, in North Carolina wanted to know more about those organizations or how they can find you, find is there websites, that kind of thing. Um, the website, I believe, is rain.org, um, or they can contact me directly um, for the youth portion of of the program at g.montgomery at carolinarain.org. Um, the Campaign to End AIDS national website is c2ea.org, um, and that has links to, you know, a wide array of different um, conferences and trainings and summits um, that either C2EA is um, putting together or other national um, events um, that people have contacted us and asked to put on our site as well. Cool. Uh, and the campaign to NAIDS, that's all over, right? That's not just in your area, in your no, location. I mean, that, I mean, right? that's everywhere. Right. The campaign to NAIDS um, is, is a international um, – it, we have partners internationally, uh, but we have um, partner – we have um, subcommittees all over the U.S., um, we have Puerto Rico, Kansas City, Missouri, Charlotte, 
um, New York, um, Pennsylvania. I mean, we're, we are everywhere. Um, and anyone who is interested in kind of working with the campaign and, you know, starting a local chapter um, can contact me as well, and I can get them to, to the proper people to help them um, start putting that together. Oh, it's interesting because I know we've had uh, Larry Bryan on before, and, and he spoke a lot about the campaign to end AIDS and all that. And it's a great organization. So I'm, you know, excited that people, you know, at, at your age are getting involved, you know, and starting to do things because I think it's really important that I feel like I, I'm, I know I'm not an old old person, but the, it's good that the younger generation, the people younger than me, are starting to get involved more. I think it's important that we do that. Absolutely, and I think um, just to kind of plug into to what you were mentioning earlier about the event that I kind of am taking lead on, um, which came out of, you know, a few days' worth of chats on the POSIM um, Instant Messenger, um, is, you know, people are, let's face it, they're sick and tired of the state of AIDS in the U.S., we're tired of our budgets being cut. We are tired of seeing people be put on waiting lists to receive the life-saving medication that they need. Um, and, and I think the timing now with, you know, with what's going on in the White House as far as, um, the you know, the budget freezes that they're proposing, um, I think we're at a moment now where we can really strike and, you know, make a difference and let people know that you know that we're fed up. Um, so what we um, are attempting to organize is a million-person march um, to take place in D.C. Um, the million people will be composed of you know people either infected or affected by HIV and AIDS. Um, we're trying to get you know a wider array of speakers. You know, young people, old people. Um, you know, positive, negative, activists, um, you know, consumer, anyone that we can bring to the table to, to kind of put this message out there and let our government know that enough is enough, you, you know, pretty much hands off of our budget is what one of the main messages is going to be from this event. Um, and I'm hoping to uh, organize a national um, conference call um, within the next few weeks um, for anybody who's interested in helping, I know there have been several talks online for people who are who work with um, major found uh, major foundations that would be able to donate money to help us get people who you know need to be at this event, who want to be at this event, but otherwise couldn't afford to get themselves to DC. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to working with with all of these individuals and, and organizations who have said, you know. This, this is what we need to be doing at this point in time. Right. And um, what, what do you have? Do you have in the, quest, in the chat room, there's a question here asking if you have a date um, that you're trying to shoot for this Million Man March um, or Million Person March? I thought you were going to ask him if he had a date for the Million Man March. Are you playing Yenta again, Robert? Please. <laughs> um, we haven't really discussed the date yet, um, because there's, I mean, there's so many details that are going to be going into actually um, finalizing the date. Um, you know, obviously we need permits. We um, are working to work with different fiscal agents from around the country to provide um, bus transportation or flights or, or any 
any combination of transportation for low-income individuals to get to D.C. who want to be a part of the event. Um, and we also would like to organize, you know, have local organizations of people put together um, local events on the same date so that way we can, if we can't get a million people actually to D.C., we can have a million people total who have done e- who will do events on the same day, at the same time as we're as we're having the the major event in DC. Um, so that will be probably a, a conversation that will happen um, within the co- within the next couple months as far as solidifying it, um, because there's so many different you know subcommittees and stuff that we're going to have to break down into in order in in order to to come up with a, a date that gives us enough time to properly plan. Right. Well, I'll be there. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds like, sounds like a, a pretty big plan. Uh, another question or, or suggestion in the chat room coming out uh, says that you should try to shoot for um, the same time as the International AIDS Conference because that will be in D.C. Um, in 2012 in July. Right. Um, and the Campaign to End AIDS and Housing Works, which, which is our um, main fiscal agent for the campaign, um, is already working um, with the International AIDS Conference to, to help organize and, and, you know, put together events for that. Um, so that's definitely, uh, you know, a, a time frame that we will be looking into. Um, so, like I said, it, these, these type of, of suggestions and stuff from people are, are what we need to make this happen. Um, I would like to – Try and be respectful, you know, of people who work, um, and hopefully open the conference call, you know, midday on a Saturday, um, so that way we can have optimal attendance on the actual call. Right. No, I think it'll be great. Uh, real quick, I just want to open up the phone lines and allow people to uh, call into the show. If you have a question or a comment that you would like to make, you can reach us at three four seven two one five nine four four two and press the number one button. So. Uh, you can let us know uh, that you want to actually speak to the host. And um, we'll be taking your calls for the the rest of the show. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about, George, was what was this video that you um, created? Or did did you create that video? I know you're in the video. I shouldn't say you created it, but... Um, No, that was a video that was put together by the um, Department for International Development um, located in England, I re- I traveled to England um, from September to December of this past year um, on a speak on a speakers tour, um, which was a two part tour put on by uh, Russ's Development, which is a youth run um, organization focusing on development issues um, internationally. Um, so the first part was we visited about twenty or 37 or 38 secondary schools, and we did a program called Dance for Life. Um, if anybody wants to kind of get an overview of that, they can go to dance4life.org. Um, and it, it's a very interactive program that we do um, that is catered to providing information for young people ages about 12 to, to 18 was the oldest group that we did. Um, We teach them some dances. We give them some facts and statistics. We teach them about, you know, what exactly HIV is, what AIDS is, what's the difference between the two, how to protect themselves, how HIV is transmitted. Um, We would do those workshops during the day, and then at night we would travel to a university 
um, and the three speakers that are in the video would tell their personal stories. Um, and the, the the Department for International Development was uh, one of the stops on our tour um, that hosted an event, and that was taken um, immediately after we presented to to their officials. Um, we also got to visit the um, Houses of Parliament and talk to MPs. We went to a red party at the Houses of Parliament um, and presented again. And we also also met with the Welsh Assembly. Wow, it was it was long. It was uh, it was the best experience that could have happened to me to see so many young people, you know, that never knew anything about HIV or AIDS until we went to present to them, wanting to get, genuinely get involved and spread the message. Um, about HIV and AIDS and how to protect themselves and what exactly it was. Um, it it was absolutely amazing. Well, that kind Actually, of segues, just, that, that segues a little bit into kind of, um, this is just changing the direction of our conversation a little bit, but, um, well, I'm the old hag in the group here. I'm going to be 42 <laughs> next month. So, um, but I, I'm curious, you're, you said you're 24 or 25? I'm 24. I'll be 25 in October. Okay, cool. So, I mean, you're, you're. I was curious to know how. Number one, how openly you discuss your own status and like amongst your peers, or depending on what setting that you're in. And also, what can you give us just a little bit of insight of what it's like to be? I mean, how well educated do you think your age group, people in their tw early 20s, are about HIV and AIDS? Because when I was, I mean, I serial converted when I was. 20 so um you know and at that but at that time everyone basically died i mean there's people dying all over the place so i think anyone in a high risk group especially was very 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 aware about transmission of hiv and aids and um you know wearing a condom was not even a question and i think it's, the climate has changed a little bit but you're right in that age group so i'm just curious your thoughts on that it was very interesting because prior to going to the UK, uh, I had done, uh, you know, a lot of different, you know, HIV 101 sessions, um, you know, throughout the U.S. And then going over there and presenting the workshop to the young people there, um, it was really a an eye-opener because I felt like young people there had a better sense and understanding of issues surrounding HIV and AIDS than the people, you know, than the young people that I have come in contact with here in the U.S. And not to say that all young people that are my age are ignorant about the issues, um, but I think their educational system provides them a better um, background to, to, to information where our educational system obviously does not since we are, you know, stuck in the past with, you know, and it's only sex-based education. Right. Um, so it, it was really, a, you know, a total flip when, when I went over there um, as far as that. Um, but, I mean, there are young people here who are able to, who have access to the information, who just don't want it, to be quite honest. You know, they are like I was when I was their age. They feel like HIV doesn't affect them or they're still under the assumption we had a lady an organization go talk to young people that were in jail at the local um, county uh, 
lockup. And, you know, people, these young people were making comments, you know, well, what what do I need to know? I'm a straight I'm a straight man. You know, HIV is only gay people have HIV. Um, so what you know? Why are you here talking to me? Um, wow. So it, it, it's I mean, and it's a shame that we still had, and you know, that's part of the reason we still have this stigma and discrimination surrounding HIV and AIDS, like we do, is because we re- our government refuses to acknowledge that abstinence only is not working. You're right. Uh, yeah, it's it's true. And the one thing that, that makes me mad is I don't know, uh, George, if you go to, like, schools and, and, and speak. Um, it's not something that I have uh, been able to do yet, but I know when a lot of people go and do that, that they're also asked, especially if it's a Catholic school or, or uh, some sort of a religious uh, school, they kind of ask you to curb and not talk about sex and condoms and to kind of make it only abstinence. And that really is something that pisses me off. And, you know, with the program that I, I, I work for here in Charlotte, um, we have our guidelines as far as what we are going to talk about. If you are, want us to come and facilitate at your school, at your church, at wherever you are, this is what we're going to talk about. If you don't want us to talk about anything on this list, then we're not going to be able to come talk to you. You know, we're not going to we're not going to further, you know, the myths and rumors and, and refuse to talk about, you know, condoms and dental dams and femidoms. We're not going to do it. If you want us to come talk to your to your young people, then we're going to tell them exactly what they need to know in order to protect themselves. Right. But we, do get people, but we do get people, you know, like you said, especially in the faith-based community. And once again, not to say that all faith-based um, programs, you know, refuse to talk about it, but we do know, and we should be able to to recognize that a lot of, you know, church groups refuse to let people come to, when, when and if they let us come talk about HIV and AIDS, they still refuse to let us talk about condoms and femidoms and dental dams. Right. That's the word I was looking for: faith-based, not religious. When I was talking about that earlier. <laughs> So, so what have you done now? Do you go to any uh, – you said do you host support groups or do you go to the support groups that is run with your organization? We host support groups for our, um, um, for anybody in our TGA in Charlotte. So we cover nine different counties um, as our TGA for our Part D funding that we receive. Um, anybody who is eligible to receive Part D funding is able to attend our support group. So you're in um, what, North Carolina? We are. We're um, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, our TGA covers, um, I believe, Gastonia, Cabarrus, Mecklenburg, um, Union, um, and a few others. But we we have one of the largest TGAs in the entire state of North Carolina, um, and our TGA is the only TGA. Um, last time I checked, that received Part D funding for the entire state of North Carolina. Wow. Very, very interesting. So, kind of exactly. So that works. What? um, So, what else do you have? What else are you doing right now? Uh, We're winding down to the last couple minutes. So, what are you doing, kind of like now? Besides what you're doing with work, is there anything else that you're working on that you would want to talk about? Um, the only other two things that we are currently working on are a couple projects with the campaign to end AIDS. 
Um, we have our first um, advocacy summit that is going to be held in Kansas City, Missouri in April. Um, that is from the 18th until, or excuse me, the 19th until the 21st. Um, we're still accepting registration applications for that. Registration is only $100, um, which I think is, you know, outrageously low considering the cost of other national conferences um, where they're charging four dollars and $500 for people. Um, right. And the other program that we are still um, want, are looking to receive applications for is our Youth Action Institute, which I mentioned earlier, which will take place July 10th through the 16th in Detroit, Michigan. Um, it is a week-long event for young people, um, typically between ages 16 and 26, but we do allow a little yo younger and a little older, as long as, you know, the work that they do is around youth-related issues. Um, <clears throat> and all of that information can be found on the Campaign to, campaign to NA's website as well. Great. Repeat, I think that that is... Re repeat, repeat that website again, just so people are tuning in late. Um, the website for the Campaign to End AIDS is C, the number 2EA.org. Awesome. Um, and they can also find all of our groups on Facebook as well. Um, if they just search C2EA, um, all, of our, all of our different subcommittees and work groups will come up. Right. I think that's, I think that's great there, um, George, what you're doing. Um, the one question that we always like to ask usually um, at the end of the interview is what one, what would you say to somebody who is newly diagnosed today and is concerned that, you know, it's the end of the world and they're going to die? I think that, what advice? like I tell all of my young people, is, you know, there's nothing that we can really say. Um, it comes with self-comfort. But the one thing that I tell people is that <clears throat> in this day and age that they need to realize that it's not a death sentence. You know, even if they're on medication, um, you know, natural supplements that, that can help them um, improve their health um, and pretty much just tell them to reach out. Um, you know, people can't help them if they can't help themselves. Mm. That's so true. Very, That's very great. True. And I also think, you know, I mean, like the whole med medication discussion, it's it's a personal it's a personal discussion, but the the thing that you need to, regardless of whether you're on meds or not, is like you know your viral load and you need to know your CD4 count. So it's important to know your status so you can go to the doctor and get get you know keep track of that on a regular basis so you can make those educated decisions. Absolutely, and I think that's the one thing that that people just don't kind of do anymore is they they don't think HIV can affect them. Um, and as we know, looking at statistics, HIV knows no race, no sex know anything. Um, if you're sexually active, it can happen to you if you're not taking the proper precautions to prevent it. Right. No, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. George, I know people can find you um, on on the Pause I Am Network. Where else can people reach you if they want to friend you? Are you? I mean, I know you're on Facebook, but do you want people to friend you on Facebook? Where do you want people to contact you? They can contact me anywhere they can find me. On Facebook, my name is George A. Montgomery, Jr. I am on the Paz I Am website. Um, they can even contact me through my emails, which are listed on both of their sites as well. They can call me directly. I am an open book. <laughs> Do you have a date for the walk? <laughs> oh, I'm never going to forget that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. 
Admiral George, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us for the hour. I had so much fun learning about all different things. I mean, we've never talked about being diagnosed, you know, in the military, and I think it's it's something that's interesting and a lot of people, you know, think about and wonder what would ever happen if you did di get diagnosed then and, and how it works. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing that part with us. I want to thank uh, thank everyone for listening and especially thank you for having me on the show this evening. Our pleasure. Anytime, George, and we hope to have you back. Oh, wait a minute, George. Wait a minute. Don't hang up. Now everybody calls in when there's three minutes left. So let me just go to the lines real quick. Are you still there? Yep. Okay. Area code nine one six. What's your name and where are you calling from? It's it's Lorene, hon. Hi, Lorene. How are you? Got a question for George? Yeah, I, guys, my computer just um, it's heating up and shutting down at random. I'm so glad I called in before it shut down. George, I just want to tell you how full of admiration I am for you as a person and for the work that you're that you're doing. Um, I'm incredibly inspired by you. And I also just wanted to um, personally touch base with you voice to voice to encourage you to call Dr. Stephen McGillis at the NIH because I do think that you're going to be eligible to enroll in the long-term non-progressor study that he investigates. And I'd love to, um, you know, connect with you uh, via email to follow up with, with you on that. And thanks again. Um, so I won't be able to type in goodbyes, but uh, these programs are wonderful. I, I want to thank you, Robert, for facilitating them. And I hope everybody has a happy spring. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling in, Maureen. Okay. Thanks so much. You're welcome, George. And um, Lorene is such a sweetheart. She's actually going to be on the show uh, March 20th, and she's going to share her story um, about being um, a long-term non-progressor. Um, area code 661, welcome to the show. Who's this? Hi, I just had a quick question. I just got diagnosed a couple months ago and just started meds and totally sucks. But I was wondering what natural supplements does uh, George recommend? He said that uh, the supplements you take, natural supplements. Okay, hold on one sec. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mute your call, but you'll still be able to hear his answer because I'm getting really bad feedback. He wants to know, George, are, do you take any supplements? Um, or do you I recommend anything? Or Jack? Um, I was fortunate enough. Um, I think one, pe one thing that people fail to realize is just, I mean, really understanding that the guidelines that are already set into place as far as watching what you eat, making sure you aren't intaking, uh, you know, a bunch of sugar, a bunch of fat, uh, <clears throat> taking a daily multivitamin um, improves my health dramatically. I haven't been sick since I've been diagnosed. Um, right. And there is a, a drink that was recommended to me, and I cannot think of the name, um, but it's made of a, of a rare, from a rare seed weed found in like some random ocean in, in Asia. Um, that, <laughs> that, I mean, it, it takes well, no, forever. But it, I mean, it truly helps helps you as far as as um, health wise. Um, but I, I mean, mean, I think actually, research. like if, if if you Google like you know homeopathic remedies and stuff for HIV, I think it's that's a, it's an another it's it's a hard question to answer because it, once again it's an individual thing and there's exactly. a hundred different answers that a hundred different people will tell you. I mean, I, I've had people 
tell me, oh, I have a natural cure for HIV. I'm like, okay, we know. <laughs> so I think it's hard. It's it's a, a, a slippery slope. I'm the same. I take, I just watch what I eat. I do natural, healthy things, you know, exercise. I take a multivitamin. I have to take, you know, multivitamins, selenium, A, B, C, D, all the vitamins, fish oils. Like, I take a handful of crap in the morning. So I think... You know, all that stuff is useful. If um, For the guy who asked the question, I, I should do kind of his own research. And it's just it's because everything works differently for everyone. The other point I wanted to make is he mentioned kind of off, off hand that his med, being on meds sucks. And someone just recently, uh, you know, reached out to me with the same thing on Facebook. And I was like, well, then switch. You know, I mean, there are a lot of treat, treatment options now that they're – Weren't, that are, you know, and different people have different side effects on different drugs. Some people do well with one and have, you know, and I've heard of people having bad side effects from one thing and then you switch to another and it's a completely different experience. So know that there are options, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So, George, thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you all for having me. Have a good night. You too. And, again, uh, you can find more information on George on the POSAM network, or uh, you can look for him, George Montgomery, on Facebook. Um, Jack, I know we're running over, but the, it's still streaming. Just real quick, I um, just want to remind people that next week um, our other co-host, Jeremy Dunn, will be on uh, sharing his story for the first time. So we'll be co-hosting and speaking with Jeremy. And your friend, um, Daniel Logan, will be on the 27th. Excellent. So we'll look forward to that. So, again, you can find more information on Jack at jackmackenroth.com and more information on myself and the radio show at pauseim.com. Jack, have a great night. You too, honey. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.